0: Today is Pentecost. I don't know if you recognize that or not. Uh, um, We we don't really spend a lot of time focusing on Pentecost Sunday. Um, We we put a lot of effort in Christmas and Easter, but today is a special day as well. And, And a couple thousand years ago, it was a special day also. Because Pentecost is this Jewish pilgrim harvest festival. Where, where myriads of good Jew families were coming to Jerusalem to say thank you to God for their present harvest, for the way that he had blessed them. It was also a way of looking back and saying thank you to God for the way that he had led the people into the promised land centuries before. It's also called the Feast of the Weeks because it spans seven weeks. It ha- sounds pretty good to me, right? Let's pack up the family belongings, uh, head to the, the capital city, and celebrate uh, for forty nine days for seven weeks. It it, it also tells it's, tells us that fifty days have elapsed since the Pentecost or since the Passover happened. So in Acts chapter 2, in this account, it's, a, it's an account that comes with this sense of expectation. At the end of Luke, uh, Jesus had told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until this power from above came and gave them the power, uh, the encouragement, the words that they needed to carry out their mission uh, of, of repentance and forgiveness across all the nations. And then in Acts chapter 1, this promise uh, is that is, uh, we, we read more significantly or specifically that this is the Holy Spirit. Spirit that that is coming upon those who believe in Jesus. So then you come to Acts chapter 2, and this is the account of the coming of that Spirit. Uh, It's full of drama. It's got lots of details. Uh, If you were to imagine this and being present in that place, uh, your, your imagination could just run wild because it has humor in it. It has drama in it. So picture the setting. <clears throat> people from all over the place, from all different nations coming together, gathered as one group to celebrate. This great wind comes and tongues of fire come down. Imagine that sight. This, these surprised onlookers who had, who had come and who had traveled to participate suddenly hear this message about God in their native language. Everybody is able to understand what is being said regardless of where they come from. But, and then, right, there's this accusation that these dudes who are talking, they are drunk. But that is quickly pushed to the side. So you have drama, you have humor, you have expectation, you have amazing visions, you have things that you've probably never seen or heard before. What else could you want in a good story? How about an explanation about why all this is happening. And that's what Peter gives us today. Now, typically, when Peter steps up and wants to say something, we we might get a little bit nervous because we have been able to watch Peter grow from this fisherman called to follow Jesus, this guy who put his foot in his mouth far too often. This guy, even after spending three years with Jesus, denied him to a little girl around a fire during Jesus' crucifixion. But this is a different Peter. This is a Peter who has had an encounter with Jesus. Do you remember that intimate exchange? After Jesus was resurrected, just him and Peter, three times Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter answers, I do. So that they've had this encounter. He's been able to see the one that he denied come back to life, teach and preach for a period of weeks. And now he is here. He has been given the Holy Spirit. This is a different Simon Peter. And this Simon Peter stands up to address this phenomena that is taking place in in this crowd. We're going to read in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. I encourage you, if you have your Bible, to read along with us. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. 13 says, you guys are drunk. Peter stands up in verse 14 and says this, men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this. Let me explain this to you, and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus, uh, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope, because you will not leave me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing this in advance, he, David, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah, he will not be left in Hades, and his flesh will not experience decay. God has resurrected this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For this was not, for it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter here has some hard words, some very direct words, some very accusatory words, but also some very saving words for this crowd assembled to celebrate Pentecost if you go back to what we read in Isaiah chapter 55, what God had promised back there, so my words that come from my mouth will not return to be empty. They will do what I wanted them to do. We see those words coming, ringing true in Acts chapter 2. What was prophesied in the Old Testament has now come true in the New look at the results. God promised my words won't come back void, but look at the results in this story in Acts chapter 2, and picking up in verse 37, when they heard this, they came under deep conviction. And they said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, or the apostles, brothers, what must, what must we do? <laughs> Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as our Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted the message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to the meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine the phenomena of being able to hear, if it was our context, hear the message of the gospel In Spanish, in French, in whatever language you were were, were natural in, you heard the message. And then, that's amazing, but then to see 3,000 people place their faith in Jesus Christ and God add to their number daily, it it brings us to the question that is asked frequently among Christians, frequently among the church today, will we ever see another Pentecost? Will we ever see anything like this? Now, there are some things that are specific and special about Pentecost, about the fire and the, the Holy Spirit coming in the manner in which it did there. But I want to show you something. And we're crossing our fingers and offering up prayers as we talk and as, that, that, that everything cooperates with us. But I want to show you a, a real-time website. Right? And this website uh, comes from Global Media Outreach. It's witness witnesstoall.com. allcom witness I encourage you to, to go home and to pull this up on your computer and just watch it for a while. Okay? What this is doing um, is at the bottom, um, you will see three numbers. Right? The, the gospel visits, and then indicated decisions, somebody putting their faith in Jesus Christ, right? and then discipleship activity, that's somebody going deeper in studying. Right? The little dots that you see popping up are decisions for Christ or discipleship activity going on just today. Just on June 5th, 2022. So as I'm talking, you keep glancing up there. Right? And, and, and say a prayer of thanks every time you see a little flag pop up. Right? Because across the world, right now, the gospel is working. Hey, and we get, uh, we, we, sometimes we get so distracted, we get so beat down because the culture around us, in our own words, is so evil, is so anti-God, anti-church, anti-Christian, and we just get beat down and we are defeated walking around all the time. Look at this and watch this, right? Watch the number go up, especially that middle number. Today. 10,000, almost 900 people have made a decision to follow Jesus with their life. If that doesn't drive you to, to, an, to a point of amazement, right, I don't know what will. Right, that as we speak, as, as some of us have went to bed at midnight between then and now, right, 10,000 people placing their faith in Jesus Christ, rescued from their sin, rescued from hell, and the church ought to be celebrating that. But sometimes we get blinders on because we we see and we feel what is going on around us and how bad things get in the world sometime. And we think that the church is being defeated. I want to share a, a little bit of stuff with you today. When we look at the church, when we look at a wider global picture of the church, Christianity is more than alive and well. It is growing at an unprecedented rate. And I I just want you to sit with that for a second because we don't feel that, right? We feel that, that we're being led further and further and further away from God's desire and maybe we are in the Mid-Ohio Valley. Maybe we are in this country that we are thankful that we live in. But when we look at a wider global picture, Christianity is more than live, alive and well. It is growing at an unprecedented rate. For example... The the Center for the Study of Global Christianity reported recently, not like back in 2015 or beyond, recently that the percentage of Christians in Africa, on the continent of Africa, is growing at a pace of 2.81% each year. What's that mean? Well, let's just go back. In 1900, there were 9.5 million Christians on the continent of Africa. In 1970, that rose to 140 million, 9.5 to 140 million. And today, there are over 685 million Christians on the continent of Africa, roughly double the U.S. population. Uh, likewise, Christianity in Asia is growing at a rate of 1.5% a year, and this growth rate has allowed for ha, has allowed for, the most, for almost 100 million more Christians to be added to Asia than have been added in North America. Although it's difficult to monitor, the church in China is predicted to outnumber those, the church in the U.S., in just a few short years. You want a little bit more? And I find this fascinating. It was like a punch in the gut and a cheer all at the same time. The Muslim world is also seeing a rise in Christian discipleship movements. David Garrison's research uh, shows that, uh, and other research shows that Christianity is gaining a large scale foothold in the Islamic world. And owing its success to conservative, Bible-believing Christians and churches sharing the gospel there, according to a church leader in Iran, I just want to share this with you a little bit. Right now, yes, this is this is one person's view, but it's a leader in Iran, and I want you just to hold on to what he says. What if I told you Islam is dead? What if I told you the mosques are empty inside Iran? What if I told you no one follows Islam inside Iran? Would you believe me? That's exactly what is happening inside my country. God is moving in a powerful way. We hear hear Islam and we shudder. God hears Islam and says, I see a rich harvest ready. Iran? (laughs) Africa, China, not a place any of us would want to go, choose to go on vacation. But God is doing amazing things in those countries. In their book, The Kingdom Unleashed, Glen Sunshine, uh, so it's got a good flavor to it. You can't have a name Sunshine and have it be a book of doom and gloom, right? Glen Sunshine and Jerry Trudeau uh, wrote that and argued that Christians everywhere have previously held on to this supernatural worldview about what God can do. But Christians in the West, that's us, have lost that. Since they lack other resources, other places in the country are more wholly dependent on God for their well-being and on the Word of God for their faith practices. And you can see What's happening? One of my favorite sentences in all of the reading from that book is that Christianity does not stand or fall with America. And we better say thank you, God, for that. So, I want to, and Randy, I'm just going to ask you to leave this up here. Don't switch off of it quite yet. I want to pose to you a different question right whether the, will we ever experience pentecost again i want to pose to you a different question i think a better question will you choose to participate in pentecost every single day it's going on right watch the watch the little dots watch the flags pop up i want you to notice something if you watch this long enough and we have a little bit of a delay in here because of our setup. But if you watch this long enough, and I encourage you to do this. Tomorrow morning you wake up and you're, you're doing laundry or getting breakfast ready and you have a laptop or your iPad or something, just pull this up and let it go. And just watch the number, right? And then watch the dots, right? Right now where we are is a perfect example because this is pretty much what you will see the entire time that you watch this website. You'll notice all this activity all across the globe very little movement in that shape that we probably recognize the most, where we call home. Will we ever see a Pentecost again? Will the rest of the world see it? Will we choose to participate in what God is doing across his globe? That's up to us. That is that is our decision. Will we choose to participate? That, that, that lends us to, to think about, to wrestle with some things. Right? Do we really believe that when our time on this earth is done, there is only two there are only two options for where we spend eternity. Heaven and hell. All right do we believe that those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and choose a life, a path of holiness, are going to live forever in the presence of God? In a place where the most spirit-filled writer of Scripture took these visions of what God showed him about what was coming, about what heaven was like, and described it for us in the most precious jewels and materials that we have on planet Earth. Gold, jasper, gems, glass, diamonds. The best words that he could think of to describe what awaits for us. Scripture gives us some pretty detailed description of hell as well. Torment, darkness, torture, sulfur, absence, if we believe heaven or hell are where we are going to spend eternity, why aren't we seeing Christmas lights pop up in our country like they are across the rest of the world? If we truly believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, why aren't we talking about Him more freely? A large part of the world seems to to understand this and to be doing this. Why aren't we? Do we not believe what God said through the prophet Isaiah, that my words, when they go out, will not return to me empty, but they will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I sent it to do? Do we not have the faith to hold God at His word? As we wrap up this series and wrap up this message, I just want to give you six statements to think about. Uh, And we've made this easy for you. They are on the sermon outline. They're also uh, the focus of the one sheet for this week. Uh, So I encourage you every day just to take one of these statements and focus on it. Pray on it. Dig into Scripture about that topic, about that statement. Wrestle with it. The first one. When we come to Matthew 28, 19, and 20, what we have is the Great Commission, not a general suggestion. It's not something that God says, hey, look at all that I have done for you. If you have time, if you have a few extra minutes, a few spare minutes, maybe think about this. Maybe give toward this. Maybe be involved. In it. It's not that way at all. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been charged with the Great Commission in your life and in the life of the local church in which you are a member. Go and make disciples. Not sit and fret about what's happening around you. Go. Go to your next-door neighbor. Go across the, the, the street Go across the state, go across the world, and make disciples. The second thing is there's no such thing as an inactive church member. Now, let me, let me just throw this out to you. There's, there's this idea, there's, just, there's this designation in our, in our database software, inactive church member. It's there so that if we don't see Chad Yoho's face for a while, uh, we, can, we can then go to another list and see, maybe he sent in a tithe check in the last six months. Right? If he meets those criteria, active. If he doesn't meet those criteria, inactive. There's no such thing as an inactive member in this book. Right? It's not described in this book. The, the picture of a Christian is not someone sitting on the sidelines saying, mm, I served in children's ministry for 15 years, I'm going to take a break and let somebody younger take over for me. It's not in there. If you have breath in your lungs, you have a ministry to fulfill, you're still a part of the Great Commission. Being an inactive church member is the most eternally dangerous oxymoron out there. It does not exist. If you have breath in your lungs, if uh, if if you're serving Jesus, there's no such thing as retirement. You taught for 15 years, you don't feel like you're being called back into a classroom with with two-year-olds, three-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds. I get that. But man, you could do a lot to mentor the young men and women who are now doing that. The third statement. In Luke chapter 6, there's this description given, and it's all paraphrased down nicely for us in one sentence. A fruit or a tree is known by its fruit. So what type of tree are you? Right, are you that tree that Jesus walked by in the, the, his, some of His last days on earth with His disciples, one that was not bearing any fruit and Jesus cursed it? Are you that tree that's not producing any fruit that's going to be chopped down and thrown into the fire? Or when people look at you, when they look at David Miller, they immediately know what type of tree that he is because they see fruit Coming from his life, when, when when people look, when people look at a, at a Scott McClure, do they have do they have to hesitate at all to know what type of tree Scott McClure is? Because they can, or can they just look at him and see the limbs just drooping because they are bearing so much fruit? A tree is known by its fruit. Number four. You guys know this one because some of you have shared this with me, that you do not need to know all the answers before you start inviting, before you start sharing, before you start witnessing. If we did this, if we thought that, if we believed that this was true, if this was true, no one would be saying anything to anyone about God because none of us are going to have all of our questions about God ever answered this side of heaven and sometimes simply by opening your mouth and telling a friend, a coworker, a classmate what Jesus has done in your life is enough to start a conversation. And you know what? When somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer, I don't know is the most powerful answer that you can give them, because what you're going to do is you yourself are going to go and find out the answer to that question, and you're going to share it with them, and you're going to begin this journey together, and that has happened many times in this faith family. It doesn't take an encyclopedia's worth of knowledge to knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey... Sunday morning, we leave about 10 o'clock to go to church. Would you like to join us? You don't have to have a stack of information to committed to memory in order to start sharing what Jesus has done in your life and in starting a walk together. And that leads us to the fifth statement. The number one reason that your neighbor your family member, your coworker, the number one reason that a person never attends church is that they were never asked. Nobody took the immense amount of time, which is about 15 seconds, to open their mouth and ask them to come to church. It's not that I don't know where a local church is, I'm scared to death of going to a church, the church is full of hypocrites, uh, I don't know enough about the Bible, uh, uh, God, if I walked into a church, uh, the, the roof would collapse. It's none of those things. It's none of those excuses. It's because no one has ever asked them to come. Who's that on? That's on us. And the sixth thing is that we are not upholding our part of the Great Commission. Let's just define we before we get too far down the road. By we, I mean the church in the country that we call home. You can see by the map that somebody else has figured this out, and they're participating. But for some reason, we are not participating in our role in the Great Commission. Is it fear? Fear? Is it we've become so comfortable in our freedom? What is it? Maybe we believe that God is outdated, that he is no longer relevant. Well, that's not a new idea, folks. And you know something else? God's mission can't be thwarted, it can't be stopped, it can't be halted. We've tried to, we've tried to all throughout human history to roadblock God's mission. Genesis chapter 1, God says to Adam and Eve, uh, you guys multiply and fill the earth. Adam and Eve crossed their arms, sort of looked at God and says, nah, I think I'll have this apple. And God propelled them with His command to to fulfill His command. You get to Genesis chapter 9 after God has become frustrated and has destroyed the earth and is now going to restart things with Noah and his family and as they're walking off the ark, he says, go. He says, you be fruitful and multiply. Spread out over the earth and multiply. What did we say? Nah, Babylon looks like a pretty nice place. I think we'll just congregate there. And everybody else, over time, does the same thing. Instead of going and going, over out, going out over all the earth, we're just going to stay here. You know what? It might be neat to see God. So let's just sort of build a temple, build a tower, and let's just see if we can get up to God ourselves. And God, what does he do? He's like, all right, my will is bigger than your disobedience. Right? And he forces our hand, forces our language he confuses our language so that we have no option but to seek out people who understand us, who seek the same language, and then we go and we fill the earth. We come to a beautiful section of Scripture like Acts chapter 2 where the phenomenon, Scott talked about this a couple weeks ago, where the phenomenon that dispersed the, the, the people of God in the Old Testament now brings them together where the Passover is there and all these people from different countries of different languages come together and from one group of people in one language, everybody understands the Word of God. As if, as if that person was speaking their language, and language brings together. And man, that was would be awesome. Three thousand people. Jerusalem is on fire. Right? Every day they're getting together, but they, some reason, maybe it's comfort, maybe it's finally we have something to believe in. They stick around Jerusalem. They don't. They forget the go. So what does God do? God raises up this man called Saul Tarsus, starts persecuting the church, finally gets to the point that every Christian except for the apostle flees. And you know what happens then? Read Acts. Read Acts chapter 8 through the end, and you see the gospel going to people like Philip, to places like Philippi, to Corinth, Galatia, to Rome itself. And God says, you're a little bit reluctant. You're enjoying this comfort too much. I'll help you out. Go. Begs the question, what will God do to get our attention in 2022? I said at the beginning of this, this series of messages that the reason that I'm sharing this series with you is because I care much more about your holiness than your happiness? God has the same view. He cares much more about the holiness of his creation than he does the happiness of it. And he will do whatever he wants, whatever he can to further his mission. We may try to pump the brakes. He'll say, "Uh uh-uh. We may say, we're going to stay here, we're going to stay comfortable. Uh -uh. We see in Revelation a warning, hey, I might take your lampstand away from you because you're not shining light the way you're supposed to, so why do you need a light anyway? Maybe, church, that's why we're not seeing a whole lot of activity in North America. We have quit shining our light. So God says, I'm going to take that lampstand and give to somebody else who will use it for the right thing. Church. Will we choose to participate in Pentecost every single day? The option's us, ours. We cannot control what Evergreen Bible Church does. I have no say over what goes over at Reno Christian Church. Um, I can't tell Bill Brown what to do at Vienna Bible Church. I'm not responsible, not accountable. You're not responsible, you're not accountable but we are here. Wherever God has planted us, wherever God God has us worshiping and serving, as a family, as a body, He will hold us accountable for what we do with His Son. And will we, church, choose to be members, participating members in the Great Commission? Isaiah chapter 55 is a beautiful section of Scripture. We didn't read quite all of it, though. I'd like to now. After he says, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do, he continues writing this, you will indeed go out with joy and be peacefully guided. The mountains and the hills will break into singing before you, and all the trees of the field will will clap their hands. Instead of a thorn bush, a cypress will come up. Instead of a briar, a myrtle will come up. It will make a name for Yahweh as an everlasting sign that will not be destroyed." That's some prophetic language from the Old Testament. Sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our head around what he's getting at here. Let's go New Testament. Let's pull to describe what he's saying there because that sounds a lot like. Isaiah sounds a lot like what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Sounds a lot like what Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 16. Not even the gates of hell will overpower it. What was true in with Isaiah, was true with Paul, true with Christ, is true with us. God's word never changes. God never changes. When He says through Isaiah, "My word is going to do what it's supposed to do," it's as true to us as it was to Him now. As then. The same Holy Spirit that inspired Isaiah to write that down so it could be preserved for us today is the same Holy Spirit that Jesus gave to us when He when we became His disciple. I remember a song that I that we sang in the youth group that I grew up and then led a little bit with. It was a song, and you may remember it. It was a song called Would You Be Poured Out Like Wine? The first, it was just two verses, and they were basically the same, except one was God asking questions to His children, and the second was His children's response to that same God. Would you be poured out like wine upon the altar for me? Would you be broken like bread to feed the hungry? Would you be so one with me that you will do just as I will? Will you be life And light and love, my word fulfill. And the second verse is what I hope our response is back to that Savior. Yes, I will be poured out like wine upon the altar for you. Yes, I'll be broken like bread to feed the hungry. Yes, I'll be so one with you that I will do just what you will. Yes, Jesus, I will be light and life and love to fulfill your word. Church, I pray that that is our response to our Savior today, not one of sitting idly by and watching the whole world do their part in the Great Commission while we just complain about the state of the world that we find ourselves living in. My word will not come back, will not return to me void. It will accomplish what I sent it out to do. Church, we need to start living on that promise. We need to start participating every single day with seemingly the rest of the world in our Great Commission work.